0: This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash Nerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 611 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast, and my name is Matt Baum.
1: And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. Get ready for another trip into the comic book time stream when we reach into the Cosmic long box and pluck out eight comics from years past based on a theme, and today's theme is characters with cold or ice power. After that, we're going to give you a
0: preview of the THN. Take a look. It's in a book club that we host for our patrons over at Patreon. With special guests Brian Domingos and Jason Sachs, because we just weren't smart enough for our discussion of Wanda and the Vision, the saga of Vision and the Scarlet Witch.
1: (laughs) Wanda, 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 the saga of Wanda and the Vision.
0: But now we find ourselves pulled into the time stream. Joe, the Cosmic Longbox calls, and we are mere pawns in its universal game.
1: It's been a brutal winter, and there's no end in sight. Well, that's not true. Nah. So it only seemed appropriate to take a look at some older comics featuring characters that control the cold. Matt, bundle up Bonehead because it's going to be a chilly ride. My
0: first review is of Baldur the Brave, number four from Marvel 1984. This was written by Walter Simonson with art by Sal Buscema. You're saying to yourself, Matt, Baldur, he doesn't have cold powers. What the frig are you talking about here? Stay with me. Baldar is all ready to settle down with his hot, sweet lady, Carnelia, when suddenly Odin steps out of the picture. Thor is too busy dealing with Hela, who's been stockpiling souls, so in his absence, he chooses Baldar to run Asgard. Unfortunately, a group of frost giants have taken Baldar and Carnilla prisoner, and they convince Baldar he's just a simple, sweet guy that would rather play with butterflies than rule Asgard. Carnilla is forced to take matters into her own hands, even though it means losing her love to Asgard again. And ultimately, Baldur ends up putting on a crazy Walt Simonson design helmet. It looks like he borrowed it right out of Galactus's closet. Hands the Frost Trolls, their butts... And he heads back to Asgard.
1: The only thing that actually happens in this issue is that last sentence. Yep, pretty much. (laughs) So thank you for the recap of the entire miniseries. This four-issue miniseries took place during Simonson's
0: Thor run between issues 360 and 362. And it took a way more fantasy-based look at Asgard and its protectors. Now, the reason I picked this issue is how the Frost Giants were depicted here. I did not... Remember it. For some reason in my brain, they've always been either blue-skinned monsters with tusks and tattoos or literally
1: monsters made of ice. But they weren't. Back here. Thanks, thanks MCU. There's only one uh, there's only one frost monster made of ice in Asgard and that's Ymir. Ymir, yeah. But the yeah. other frost giants, I always pictured them as like the blue
0: guys. I forgot that no, at one point they were just giants. They just looked like normal giants of fantasy just from a really lore. Cold place. Yeah, they bundled up. They complained about the cold, even. They used fire to cook food. <laughs> like, there was all
1: kinds of shit going on here. I totally forgot about. Now, now if- I do believe uh, in recent years, the Marvel Universe has uh, gotten in line with the MCU because there was that um, war of the... I believe it was a War of the Realms uh, tie-in. Oh, yeah. the. Uh- the War of the Realms tie-in, where Punisher uh, takes his van <laughs> through the Nine Realms with the Juggernaut. Oh yeah, e. Nelson. Well, but even before that, even before that, I love though, the
0: head series, they were showing us like lofty was blue, and like yeah. when I mean, Loki Lothie might be blue. When Loki was a kid, he was a little blue baby and stuff like that. This was way back in Aaron's run before. I mean, and even right before the Thor movies, they were doing this stuff. I guess so. I, I just remembered it always being like that regardless if you love simonson's thor you will have fun with this balder miniseries Bushima is drawing it just like simonson so much so i forgot that simonson did not draw this until i revisited it now we were talking before we started recording this is thick it is chunky even you're really gonna have to bite into it to get any flavorful enjoyment out of it. (laughs) It is very much written like Simonson's latest Ragnarok story that he's doing over at IDW. It reads like old school Norse mythology with crazy Jack Kirby inspired character designs, if you will. (laughs) So be warned. I'm giving it a buy it because I love this (laughs) shit. But be warned.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's chewy like an overcooked steak. Uh, rubbery, you might say. More like
0: beef jerky, I think. I
1: would. Yeah. say. <laughs> uh, so I read this. Uh, I, you know, uh, Walt Simonson's Thor, for the most part, is a blind spot in my uh, comic fandom. I've read a few here and there, but never the whole run. Uh, I'm sure that the main run in Thor is as great as everybody says. Oh, it's wonderful, wonderful. This this was a chore to me, like a chore to get through, because it's so. It is just like utgard loki this yeah and like it, it, it's so it is so dense you're not wrong I, you're not wrong at all I, I get it just with like with character names and plot points and you know, and it's like there's this guy with a sword and it's like what the hell is even going on <laughs> now i forgive a lot of that sometimes in the cosmic long box because we are reading issues removed from context right of course but that's it's 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 different here it, it, like this was this was kind of a slog for me um i love sal Shema. i love him I, yeah. I thought the art was great it was fantastic um, this is a skim for me it's for simons and completists only uh i do love Baldur's ridiculous helmet meanwhile at the hall of justice my first review is of justice league quarterly number five from dc comics it came out in the year 1991 Superheroes around the globe are suddenly losing their powers and falling into comas. And the only clue to the crisis are sightings of a group of mysterious suit wearing strangers. They're very dapper. Meanwhile, ice is doubting her place in a league, mostly full of powerhouses. Naturally, she becomes the key to saving the day. Uh, This story teams, a young Mark Wade prior to his historic run on the flash and a young Mike McCone, for a tale that brings back a classic justice league foe with a tragic history, this particular version of the team. Uh, if you've never read justice league international or justice league America, uh, this era is better known for its character work than its superhero action. And Wade excels at filling the story with heart and humor. Uh, again, this era of the team also featured some of artist Mike McCone's first ever published work. And Man, he was a superstar in the making, right out of the gate. Absolutely, he was great. Uh, Justice League America, uh, also like first
0: place I ever saw Adam Hughes. Wait, What's was the word? Hughes on Quarterly or America? You said Justice League America.
1: On, uh, Justice League America. So like uh, this era of the Justice League in general, Justice League America okay. gotcha. slash International, gotcha. Justice League Europe, Justice League Quarterly. It was like Bart Sears, Adam Hughes, Mike McCone, yeah, ton Kevin of those McGuire. Guys. It was just like a, it was like like an incubator for future superstars. Gross incubator. <laughs> this anthology issue also features three other stories. Uh, another ice tale with her best friend Fire. Oh, by the way,
0: featuring. Thanks for telling me I didn't have to read all three after I read all three. So. Well, I didn't know.
1: <laughs> one featuring the Global Guardians and a, another, which is a flashback story starring General Glory. Uh, who is like this tongue-in-cheek Captain America slash uh, Shazam mashup character. Right. These stories are hit and miss. Uh, the first two are kind of misses. <laughs> but the General Glory chapter by Joey Cavallari, uh, the late, great Mike Perilbeck, and Ty Templeton, I think is pretty fun. I, like It's full of pretty funny jokes. Um, it's tongue-in-cheek. Like, it, it reads like an old 40s movie serial uh with a great oversized lead story by future industry vets and a back issue value barely over cover price which is 295 justice league quarterly number five is worth seeking out whether you bother with the extra content or not i'm giving it a buy it
0: okay why are guys
1: boots so big that he has don't the hate. biggest boots on. <laughs> they're insane. Don't hate the player. Hate the game. <laughs> it's not Mike McCone's
0: fault. I don't get it. i just, every time they shot it, I mean, they're ridiculous.
1: Like I like to think that they exaggerated on purpose for comical effect. They
0: are ridiculous, but. They're re- very large. Regardless of that. Um, I don't care about Ice as a character. I don't. All she does is whine and cry. I'm never going to fit in. And oh, I fire so much prettier than I am. And yes, look, you'd have to be a lunatic to date Guy. You would. You'd have to be crazy to date Guy. And she was because Guy was a total jerk to her. But at the same time, I get why Guy was a total jerk to her because she sucked so bad. (laughs) I, I just, I don't care about the character. This was fun. And really well written. I thought Wade did a good job on that story. I don't know if you picked up on it or not. I'm, if you're a UFO conspiracy guy, the men in black suits are supposed to be the men in black. They're, they're, like, are, they're modeled after the men in black that would come and talk to people with their I UFO. Mean, I suppose. And they were mysteriously at all these different, you know, sightings oh, sure. where heroes were yeah, yeah, injured and right. stuff. Was that Red Rocket number five in the big boxy
1: armor? Red Rocket number five, baby.
0: Man, that is a- Bad, bad looking armor. <laughs> uh,
1: that's better than the original armor. Yeah, fair
0: enough. I, I, I'm giving this a skim. It. It was fun. There was nothing I loved about it. This is a really weird team, and I love how weird the team is. Like, Metamorpho's here. Red Rocket number five. Guy Gardner. I think is running the team basically.
1: Uh, no Martian Manhunter okay. is the leader. So this this is basically this is basically a team up between the Justice League America branch and the Justice League Europe branch. Okay. Uh, They had like embassies around the world, uh, apparently only two of which had teams stationed at them. I guess. Um, So yeah, like Flash, Power Girl, Elongated Man, Metamorpho, they're all from the Europe team. Right. Uh, and then Booster, Blue Beetle, Guy, Ice, okay. Martian Manhunter. They're it's a, from the It's a main fun
0: movie. idea for the team, and it's the kind of thing that they just will never do again. You're never going to see a Justice League comic like this again. So it was fun to read. I'm just giving it a skimmet. Uh, as far as, like, people with cold powers go, Ice is such a crybaby. Such a crybaby. Hey, hey, shut look, up! Man, <laughs> and, to, to by a, the way, they, okay, real quick, she takes Guy's ring, puts it on, no problem. I'm flying around. I'm doing stuff. I'd be like, "Oh, I wish I could fly." Look, I'm flying. Oh, I wish I could do this. Look, I just did that. They addressed that in the comic. Her willpower is strong. Now, later on, much later on, Jeff Johns shows us a scene where Oliver Queen puts on Hal's ring and tries to muster, like you know, he tries to create a Green Lantern. He tries to shoot bow an arrow. and arrow,
1: and it almost kills him. He's like the amount of willpower that took uh, to do that. That wasn't uh, that wasn't Jeff Johns. That was Brad Meltzer. Was
0: that Brad, Brad Meltzer? Meltzer? But
1: it like almost Wait, killed uh, him. Uh, he he was like Jesus Christ. Is that what it's like every time?
0: I need to I need to take a nap for a week after that. Whereas Ice, who's a total crybaby, she's like oh, I'm doing it. Look, yay. I don't buy it, <laughs> mean, That was that was
1: like twenty five years I'm later. Still not buy it. want
0: it was a cute device to make her seem cooler. She's not cool. She sucks.
1: Anyway, uh, Ice is pretty cool. She so just had to grow into her character. Like if you read, if you read the run, like. You get a really uh, good feeling for the character, and that—that's fair. I'm her sure journey. She, I'm sure she grows uh, but, up. Like, this part of her journey,
0: no interest in it. <laughs>
1: uh, whatever. Listen, you made two of your four comics. The per the the people involved didn't even use their cold powers. I'm not saying that
0: her cold powers are problem. I'm saying it was her crappy crybaby attitude was the problem. I'm whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. Up next for me is Detective Comics number six seventy from DC. The year was nineteen ninety four. This was written by Chuck Dixon with art by Barry Kitson. It's almost Christmas in Gotham, and crime is light. You know, criminals hanging out with the family, they got stuff to do. But Detective Montoya is pulled off of her cold case to investigate an even colder one, if you know what I mean. A body encased in ice is discovered in the river, and when the ice melts in the GCPD morgue, it turns out the body is far from dead but it's actually Mr. Freeze without his suit and desperately looking to cool off. Detective Montoya is tracking the shambling Mr. Freeze when a Batman, not the Batman, in this case, it's Gene Paul Valley, a.k.a. Asriel, was wearing the most ridiculous bat armor ever created and protecting Gotham after Bruce Wayne had his back broken in the pages of Nightfall. The two track down Freeze, and just before Bat Azriel murders him, which I forgot was a thing, Montoya stops him. Basreel. She also questions him on it. She was like, come on, that's that's Mr. Freeze. You faces it. And he's like, Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Mr. Freeze, yeah, I re- I remember him. Okay, gotta go. <laughs> and Montoya starts to figure out this is not Batman. I picked this because while researching Mr. Freeze, I didn't realize that the Joker had killed Mr. Freeze back in the second Robin miniseries in 1991, but it was Paul Dini's Batman the Animated Series that made Mr. Freeze super popular again at the time, so DC brings him back in this issue. He had been dead for like four years. I didn't even know that was a thing. And that's why they were saying, like, well, if you're going to read Mr. Freeze, read these issues. And I was like, why that one? I don't get it. This issue wasn't even that great, as I recall. <laughs> I will say, Kitson's art is so good that it even makes this stupid Bat costume look great. By the way, Joe Casada designed the Yazbat costume. I did not mm-hmm. know that. But in an interview with Joe Cassada, they were talking about how they're like, look— We wanted to look as 90s as possible, and it just so happened that Spawn was huge at this time, and, like, the image guys were doing crazy shit, and they were looking not to necessarily cash in on that 90s look, but according to them, and who knows, this is an oral history, but according to Quesada and Dixon and Alan Grant, some other guys that worked on the comic, they wanted the armor to look dumb. They wanted it to look stupid. They wanted super dumb extreme claws and fingers and shit like that. Because they wanted the readers to not like this Batman. To show you how special the other Batman was. And it worked so well that the sales on the Bat books dropped so violently that they shortened the story by six issues. And brought Batman back crazy fast. As evidenced by the Batman Punisher crossovers that took place where DC did an as-bat Punisher crossover, and Marvel's like, we're not doing that. We're doing a regular Batman and Punisher crossover. And then after yeah. that, they're like, yeah. Batman's back.
1: <laughs> I'm giving this a buy it. Because I think Barry Kitson drew the DC one too.
0: He did. I'm giving this a buy it because it's a weird, fun memory of this crazy experiment that DC tried. And they got accused of all kinds of shit. This was right after the
1: death of Superman as well. So they were accused. This was after Superman had already come back. No. Yes. I'm sorry. This came out. And if this came out in 1994, this was a year after nightfall
0: was right after the death of Superman and they were trying to make it look like, and, and Batman was still gone at this point. And so everyone assumed that they were cashing in on the death of Superman and trying to do the same thing with Batman. And that was not the plan. They were genuinely, according to these creators, were genuinely trying to show readers how important and special Batman is because he doesn't kill because he wears the bat costume because he doesn't, it hasn't been updated violently and it
1: worked and backfired,
0: which I think is an amazing story. <laughs> that's pretty good. It's yeah. That's so pretty cool.
1: Great. <laughs> um, you know, I read this and it's fun to see like early Montoya, uh, issues. She even like talks about <laughs> her trouble dating men. Yeah. Um, well, she had not found herself yet. Yeah. I mean, whatever. yeah, no, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, this was interesting. Um, Maybe that
0: I'm was also torn. a double entendre, by the way, by Montoya. Like, yeah, I had a lot of trouble dating men, if you know what I mean. But I think that
1: she thinks, <laughs> but that's her internal monologue, though. She doesn't say that out loud. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of torn about this. Um, I'm going to give it a buy it uh, because I do think that the art was good and I liked the characterization of Montoya and Bullock. And uh, it is fun to see like people reacting to Asriel as Batman as like, what in the hell? And (laughs) what is wrong with you, Batman
0: reading Chuck Dixon talking about how he made such a violent change and wanted the character to sound this ridiculous. He literally sounds like Dracula Stalking his prey in Gotham Yeah It's like I mean
1: and that, that It's speaks nuts That like Asriel's like weird upbringing As like some sort of Cultist or whatever Well they were also like Azrael was losing his
0: mind At the time too Yeah That was right. the other thing His too. gorilla
1: blood Was really acting up
0: Alright easy now Come on <laughs> <laughs> I love Asriel. Um And
1: you know, like I, lo- I love Barry Kitson Yeah so it's a bite
2: Rest well my love The monster who took you from me Will soon learn That revenge is a dish Best served cold.
1: Next up, Uncanny X-Men number 314 from Marvel Comics, 1994. This was a wild time for our good pal Iceman. Yeah, you can say that. <laughs> Due to events nearly three years earlier, Bobby Drake's body is under the control of the supposedly dead Emma Frost. Under her control, Iceman's powers are pushed far beyond what he was previously capable of a development that will affect the character for years to come. This is another artifact from the bygone era of the nineties with overblown dialogue by Scott Labdell. However, uh, this issue also features art by two industry greats, Lee Weeks and Bill Kevich, which is like weird. All of a sudden here's yeah. guest art by these like Lee Weeks was super popular already at the time. And Bill Kevich was already an icon. I think they
0: heard Shard was guest starring in this one. And they were like, oh man, I got to get yeah, a piece of that. We got to get some big name
1: <laughs> talent on this Shard appearance. Whoa, whoa. Bishop's sister. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm dying to draw her. <laughs> credit where it's due. Lobdell does a great job conveying Emma's desperation and despair in trying to find her former students uh, only to learn that they had all been horribly murdered. <laughs> this is an, interesting precursor to Emma's partnership with Banshee in generation X, but don't expect to see how Iceman gets his body back. Emma inexplicably appears in flesh and blood two issues later. Like literally I checked the next issue. It's all about Colossus living on asteroid M with Magneto. Yeah. And then the issue after that is part one of the phalanx covenant and Emma is in her body strapped to a table.
0: I like to think that this idea was so dumb that they were just like, no, okay, sorry, here's Iceman back.
1: (laughs) I actually really loved the idea where it's like, she, she needed a body to go to and she, like in his body, she was like, tapping into things he didn't even know he could do. It's, yeah. It's really interesting to me.
0: And and it did lead to some cool stuff for the character later on. Yeah.
1: Just, and like, that's how Iceman learned that he was an Omega level mutant. Right. Like,
0: he is freaky powerful. The design of her in Iceman's body though is so awful. She
1: had to like get her fabulous God. hair going. But yeah, she's yeah. also still a Dude, I'm
0: surprised that she didn't have ice boobs. Right, she's like she's she makes the face look kind of witchy and weird, and she has long kind of hair, and there are some feminine aspects to
1: the design, I guess. Yeah, maybe, but she's yeah. still a dude, <laughs> it's right? Yeah, it's so very, weird. Uh, it's it's an uh, it's an odd design. I really enjoyed revisiting Uncanny X Men three fourteen. I thought it had some interesting ideas about uh, Iceman as a character, and I'm a big fan. Uh, despite some Clunky 90s trappings uh, and the art by Weeks and Sinkevich is a treat. Emma's character design aside, uh, I'm giving this a buy. I don't know if the art is a treat. I think there's some really
0: good art here and some really uneven art here. And I'm not even blaming either artist because they're both wildly talented. But it's almost like the color palettes that they were working with were very X-Men and that's just not what they're used to or something. There's some really strange panels uh, like Banshee carrying, you know, uh, Emma in Iceman's body around and and stuff that just don't look right. And, and this was like, I remember when this came out being like a shock to my system, my X system. Cause like I was only reading X-Men comics at this point as a kid. And it was just, and I recognize these names and I knew these guys were famous. And I knew they were good, but i did not like this as a kid. Revisiting it today, looking back at it, yes. It, it, I'm not saying it's terrible. I just feel like maybe they're a little out of their wheelhouse with this type of X-Men story. And I'm giving this a skim It This was such a this is one of those weird reaches that Lobdell would take in the X-Men. Every once in a while, he'd take a weird reach, weird reach. And nail it. And then other times you take a weird reach and we get maggot. You know, like there was just some weird ideas. And this was definitely one of them. I think it's clever. It was just it was just weird in execution. It's a skim it for me.
1: Just watch your mouth about maggot. Um, so this I'm looking at this uh direct edition. Um, so this was back in the era. Uh, this would have been right around the time that Marvel started to put out two versions of the X-Men books. Yeah. One for the newsstand market, uh, which would be like on cheaper paper and less expensive. And one for the direct market that was on fancier paper. uh, That was like two bucks instead of whatever regular price. So I don't know if that is a factor in the coloring or if it's just like It's the 90s, man. And that's just like how coloring was back then. It wasn't uh, as advanced as it is now. I'm not saying the coloring is
0: bad. I'm saying I'm not used to seeing these artists working with this type of flashy 90s X-Men color palette. And I think it makes their art look a little weird at times. Oh, all right. I got you. That's what I mean. I got you. I got you. So I feel like I need to set this one up because... I was running out of cold characters to look for, and there were some obvious ones I could have reached for, and I found this list of cold characters, and one of them just happened to be Comet. And we're going to talk about Comet because we need to talk about Comet because I have some feelings (laughs) that I need to work out, and I don't know what I think about Comet. I'm talking about Supergirl number 22. From DC, the year was 1998. Your creative team was... Peter David, writing, and Leonard Kirk and Prentice Rollins on art. It's hard to know where to even start with this one. Supergirl, who is Linda Danvers here, not Kara Zor-El. More on that in a minute. (laughs) Is madly in love with a tall, silver-maned albino with horse legs named Comet. The same name as Comet the Super Horse, who was owned by Kara Zor-El. Now, there's history here. Because the old El in the Golden Age had a real adventure where Comet became a man. And yeah. she fell in love with that horse. And she made out with that horse. And then Comet turned back into a horse. And they were just pet friends again. <laughs> I mean Silver Age was weird, okay It was like crazy. The, the shit got wild. The whole story was like this comet was a dude that fell in love with Circe. Zeus got jealous and was like, "Knock it off. you're a horse." And that was that. And uh, oh, so he actually was a man. He that was got a turned man into a horse. Turned into a horse with wings be- and met Supergirl: No, no comet did not have wings.: Oh, comet just flew around. Comet was just a horse. OK. Turned into a horse, met Supergirl later on. she hung out with him and stuff, turned back into a dude and was like, hey, you know what? You remind me of somebody I used to be in love with. She was like, oh, who's that? Told her the story. They made out, turned back into a horse. And she's like, all right, back to the barn with you. Anyway, (laughs) this comet was a jockey who was paralyzed in a horse racing accident. He was then approached by a shadowy group called The Stable, get it, who agreed to help him, but they didn't mention that they would be merging his body with a horse oh and that is nowhere near the weird part of comet's story (laughs) we all know if you were going to get into that or not oh yeah oh you have to and it is not in this comic i'm gonna i'm gonna i stress that it is not in this comic but we go to comic vine now so we can talk about the origin of andrew jones comet it's not andrew jones hold on Now, just hold on there. Andrew Jones was crippled as a jockey and selected by an agency known as a stable to undergo genetic therapy and had his DNA spliced with that of a horse so he could walk again. He also developed enhanced strength through his genetic modification and was fitted with a suit that allowed him to fly because that's what horses do. Stable then revealed the catch. They wanted to pay, they wanted him to pay back the money they spent on him by performing mercenary work for them. It was like millions of dollars. And that's what's going on in this issue. So he comes to Supergirl and says, look, I hooked up to- $3.5 guy million. Dollars. I don't want to be a bad guy. That's all it takes to get turned into a horse. I owe him $3.5 million. Now, Andrea Martinez was a girl who was driven to walk away from her life when she revealed to her parents that she was gay and they weren't having it. They were super religious. She ended up trying to kill herself. She got hooked on drugs. But later oh, on, shit. she met a guy. Oh, shit. She made a guy named Cutter Sharp and married him in hopes of finding peace. Didn't work. She left him. She got even more upset, went back to drugs, but then pulled herself out of her drug addiction with her new addiction, the adrenaline that comes with extreme sports. She tried every reckless thing she could think of. And finally, she decided, I'm going to climb Mount Everest alone by myself. While climbing, she has a fall. Guess who else happens to be there? Comet, flying around, doing his thing. He can't save her life, but he can try to keep her warm. while well, they freeze to death, and while she freezes to death, and while this happens... Their bodies merge and yes, they become
1: okay. one person. Their bodies and souls merge. All right, all right. So,
0: what is happening
1: to this character? Long story short, uh Andy, the female uh, aspect becomes the dominant one.
0: Yes, and she um, she's a stand up comedian. She does
1: turn into a dude when she becomes Comet.
0: She's a stand up comedian in, Lees- or male features, at least. in Leesburg, Pennsylvania, where yes. Supergirls decided to operate out of. They become it's where friends. Ca- it's where
1: Linda's parents are from.
0: But when she turns into Comet, she is a dude, and that dude is in love with Supergirl, and Supergirl's heavy into him because Comet. Part of his powers and abilities are not just super strength. Comet. Also has ice vision, which learns to fire beams of frost from that comes uh, later yeah. fr- from his eyes that freeze mm-hmm. whatever they hit on contact. He has ice wings that help yes. him to fly. Shape shifting. Oh, and by the way, he's the angel of love.
1: And okay, can, and All can right. thaw frozen hearts. This is the this is the conceit of this era of Supergirl. What
2: the
0: hell? Like we're gonna take a little bit of
1: extra time because it's cosmic long box. This is nuts. All right, listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna take you on a little magical mystery tour of the history of the Linda Danvers Supergirl because it needs to be said. I didn't even mention Linda Danvers. Not Kryptonian. She's a friggin' angel. Okay, She's listen an to me. I'll just I'll disc- listen to me. I will tell you what happens. In the post-crisis DC universe, there's a very famous story that John Byrne wrote and drew where he goes to a parallel universe and he meets three Kryptonian super criminals from that alternate world that have murdered everybody on their planet. There's a version of Supergirl there. Pardon me. There's a version of Lana Lang there. Why? Uh, I forget if she's Supergirl already. I forget if it's I think she's Supergirl right away. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lana um, Lang is, is Supergirl? Uh, it, uh, she she's not really Lana Lang. Uh, okay. <laughs> on the in this alternate universe. Ooh, I'm sorry to sweat. <laughs> in this alternate universe, this version of Supergirl forget the Lana Lang stuff, it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> um I can't. It's there. Sorry. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't matter. It has no bearing on the character. I can feel it inside me though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, Superman uh, decides that he has no choice but to kill the Kryptonian super criminals, uh, which leads to all manner of problems for him later. Blah, blah, blah.
0: And arguments Um, that the Snyder Bros will throw in our faces. But anyway. Exactly
1: right. Exactly (laughs) right. It's the number one thing they bring up every time. Um, This Supergirl is not Kryptonian. She is an artificial being created by that universe's Lex Luthor, uh, who is a good guy. Right. Uh, and so uh she ends up making her way to the prime d c Earth, uh where she is very confused, like uh, her she um she's a shapeshifter. she's like this protoplasmic kind of shapeshifter. Good Lord.
0: And in this issue, she talks about being in love with Lex a
1: lot, right. And so um, when she makes her way to Earth, like the the main earth, uh she's got no memory, she's very, very confused and she uh lives with the kents for a while uh and then something happens where um she starts to believe that she's actually superman and so there's this you know big conflict where he has to like bring her down and and convince her that she's not superman you know you're you're she's not superman she believed she was
0: superman oh because she's, she's a, a shapeshifter, shapeshifter. yeah okay. right
1: And there is a lot of
0: gender fluid stuff going on here, and I yeah absolutely right. And for like 1990, what was this? Eight, 1998, 1998. Well, and then this
1: this this story from that I'm referencing happened in like 88, 88, 89. So pretty amazing, pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, So uh, Matrix, which is the name of the the protoplasmic creatures, it's called named Matrix. um, Eventually, like recovers from this and adopts the identity of supergirl. And so that's where that that's where that version of supergirl came from. Um in the 90s she falls in with uh who is believed at the time to be Lex Luthor's son. Okay, hold on. Are we talking about Linda Danvers from this comic? We'll get there. Oh my god. We'll get there. <laughs> uh so the uh in the in the 90s there was a story where um uh Lex's uh Lex loses his hand to cancer from wearing the kryptonite ring. And the kryptonite is going to like the cancer is going to kill him. Uh, and um, but before he succumbs to cancer, there's a plane crash and he dies, quote unquote. Then Lex's long lost unknown heretofore son shows up, the long red headed Alexander. Al, yeah, red bearded like dude from the not from the Death of Superman cartoons. Okay, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. Death of Superman comics. Yeah, and he's Lex Luthor Jr. What is eventually revealed? Oh, and Supergirl falls in love with him and works with him. God, she she just can't help guy. herself, can she? <laughs> I know. So that's where this stuff about about uh, Supergirl being in love with Lex Luthor comes from. Uh, it is eventually revealed that that it's actually Lex Senior in a cloned body. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is a story that, ha- that that's, that's how Supergirl breaks free. She's like, you lied to me, you're oh, evil, blah, man. blah, blah. And that's how Supergirl kind of comes into her own as a character. So from that storyline where she frees herself, uh, we get Peter David's reboot of Supergirl in 1996. But wasn't that a
0: the one that you're talking about has nothing to do with this one, right? Bear with me, man. Oh, God.
1: We're on a journey. How long is this going to take? <laughs> I'm just... <laughs> it's another two minutes. Okay. Timing. So, Peter David's reboot in 1996. We meet uh, Linda Danvers, a very troubled uh, teen girl, or in her early 20s, I suppose. Homage to Carol um, Danvers,
0: right? Well, that's Marvel, so no. Oh, but I mean, I said an homage.
1: No, no. The Linda Dan... Like, Linda Danvers uh, That's like Silver Age stuff That's oh, way okay. long ago All right. Um, so Linda Danvers uh, Is this very troubled uh, Youth uh, And when we first meet her She is uh, uh, Cowering in the shower uh, Beaten to a bloody pulp Jesus Yeah right um, So uh, she passes out And when she wakes up She's healed And she's like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? What happened? What is eventually revealed is that Supergirl, Matrix, shows up at the moment of Linda's death. And in an attempt to save her life, tries to share some of her um, shape-shifting something happens uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's spelled it's spelled out better their
0: bodies become one just like comment and uh, yes, it, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> uh,
1: so at the moment of linda's death supergirl is there trying to save her and their bodies and souls merge into one the special hug thing it's a special hug right. and so linda linda becomes the dominant personality but she has all of supergirl's memories and so she can she can transition back and forth between linda who looks like a normal person, right? and Supergirl, who so, looks like a superhero. What about the angel thing? It is later revealed... Uh, Peter David's run is just like his Hulk run. It's a long game. Yeah. And so it is Woo-hoo. later revealed that there is, um, uh, there is this um, concept in the DC universe called Earth Angels. And they are created whenever uh, one person voluntarily gives their life to try to save another at the moment of their death and they become one being. And so Supergirl so that's, in that the moment, special
0: hug makes the Earth Angel as well.
1: Yes, the okay. special hug. Got it. And so in that moment where Supergirl and Linda merged, Supergirl became an Earth Angel, the Earth Angel of fire. I am exhausted. And that's why she <laughs> later developed the fire wings. Okay. <laughs> uh, Comet, the same thing happened with Andy and Comet and Comet became the Earth Angel of love. Okay. And but she like Comet fell in with like the big villain of the story, who is Mister Carnivian, who is right. referenced in this issue. Okay, Earth Angels, baby. <laughs> oh. and so like later on that later on you you texted me that cover where it's Comet with the ice wings and yeah. the horse ass. Yeah, because <laughs> he goes That's, full centaur later. Full centaur. That's later on after Comet embraces the earth angel. (laughs) Jesus Christ. And and gains the ice vision and the wings and the horse
0: butt. I remember you and our friend Big Mike trying to explain how great this series was to me. And I even remember giving the first few issues a try back in the day and just going... No, (laughs) I can't do it. I I don't know what's happening. No, they didn't even get into any of that angel stuff. Well, you're in at least. Uh, I will say the choice to go with the angelic Supergirl, and now that you've explained to me, and the the angel of love who has horse feet and three weird like night crawler fingers for some reason, (laughs) very brave man. This comet thing though, woo. Woo. <laughs> it is. Oh, I'll tell you what. And I will say Leonard Kirk's art is unrecognizable here.
1: Oh, I disagree. Really? I, I think, it, yeah, I definitely recognize it. I
0: didn't know Goodness. it was him at all. And I wonder if it, the other person that I mentioned, Prentice, whoever that nah, was. No, he was the inker. Okay. I, I just thought it looked really loose. I don't know. I am giving this a skim it because of how brave the book is. <laughs>
1: Right. <laughs> uh, this is a, a buy it for me because obviously I was very passionate about this run as a as a youth. Um, I, I was headed off to college when the first issue came out, and I was instantly hooked.
0: Goddamn experiment! Uh, it was with Supergirls, it was pe- what it was.
1: <laughs> What's that?
0: I said it's a goddamn experiment with Supergirls, what it was.
1: Yes, I mean because like, look, I grew up reading the post crisis version of Superman where right. he was the only Kryptonian, right? And so like, I was already on board with all well, of this matrix stuff. He was the only Kryptonian until later when they started. (laughs) Until all the other Kryptonians showed up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And yeah, so I was already on board with all this Matrix stuff. And it was Peter David, who I already loved from the Hulk. And the artwork for the first arc is Gary Frank. Yeah. Like, it's a beautiful comic. Yeah. And so, yeah, I really enjoy. I enjoyed revisiting this. And it is, though, I'll grant you, uh, it's weird. It's weird as hell. Um, but it makes a lot better sense in the grand tapestry of Peter David's entire run.
0: Wears its heart on its sleeve, too, man. It's not <laughs> fucking around. A lot of feelings. A lot of feelings.
1: Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Yeah, goddamn. All right, next up for me is Superboy number twenty-two, also from DC Comics. Uh, this one came out in nineteen ninety-five. The young clone of Superman is dealing with some unwanted attention from the redheaded powerhouse known as Knockout. Meanwhile, a demonically powered killer Frost is making her way across the Hawaiian Islands in an attempt to absorb as much heat as she can. Full disclosure. I love this run of Superboy a lot, (laughs) but I will admit it can get Pretty rough. Okay. Looked at under a modern lens. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I've been saying this for years. Okay. Yes, it's true. (laughs) Writer Carl Kessel throws readers into the deep end, tossing a lot of developments into the script, such as Superboy's recent adventure with the Legion of Superheroes. Oof. The love quadrilateral between Superboy, Knockout, his reporter girlfriend, Tana, and his friend, Roxy. Everybody wanted to fuck Superboy. Everybody. By the even
0: way. Du- even Double yeah, X. These are adult women, and he has boy in his name, so I <laughs> kicked that around for a he while. Is, he is
1: literally on paper, like, six weeks, eight weeks
0: old. I mean, I mean, like, what is he supposed to be here? 15? 16? Yeah, he's a teen. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and they are had, like, a... T- These are adult women. These are the kind of
1: Tana is a, is a news reporter, a television reporter. This is Roxy enters the police Academy. Yeah, they are. They are at the, at a minimum 20. This is not unlike the news
0: stories where we read about the, the eighth grade teacher that is sleeping with one of her
1: students. (laughs) Yeah. Hey man, it was 1995. Uh, he also manages to include a reference to the Underworld Unleashed crossover oh. in this issue, uh, which uh, it's a tie into that. Uh, here's the thing: Kessel never met a '90s slang phrase that he didn't like, and the result is a script full of dodgy dialogue. Oh yeah, like it's I. I read it, uh, I, knowing full well. Like I remember this issue vividly. I went back and I read it, and I was like, "Holy smokes!" It's it's this is like this is very poochy. Oh, yeah. Like he is poochy. <laughs> oh, he yeah. died on his way back to his home planet. <laughs> However, I'm a big fan of artist Tom Grummet, and his work here still holds up. Uh, Superboy 22 is a fun artifact from an era of the character that might be better off left to nostalgia. Mm-hmm. I'm giving it a skim
0: it. I have never been a fan of Tom Grummet. I'm not saying Tom Grummet is bad, he is a talented artist. I do not care for his style. And it, it just in my mind, he had this way of making everyone look cherubic and young in his panels. And it yeah, freaked me out. Yeah, they all got
1: kind of round faces. It yeah.
0: freaked me out. By the way, the Underworld Unleashed tie-in is literally one page. One page in this book. Well,
1: uh, doesn't... um. Killer Frost might make a reference to Neron as well.
0: Uh, maybe she does, but I mean like the actual tie-in is one page. Yeah,
1: Neron shows up to attempt to knock and she sends him packing.
0: This is a special kind of garbage, in my opinion. <laughs> I didn't care about the Superboy run. I didn't care about the Superboy costume. I did not care about this Superboy and revisiting it much later. Like when it was coming out, I was just like, not for me. No thanks. Revisiting it much later. It is oh my God. It, it it's like the Save by the Bell writers wrote this. And they're like, we could write a comic book. Sure. You know, or it, what it is, it's an old man trying to sound young and hip in the 90s. And it is yeah, it, it, but painful. Not, like the, not like the new self-aware saved by the no, bell, like the no, old super yes. cheesy saved by the bell. Yes, like adults writing kids that sound like Aliens. Yeah. It's like, uh,
1: it's like Steve Yushemi in 30 Rock. And I don't like, how do you do fellow kids?
0: Saying that like, I don't care for Tom Grummet's style is one thing, but I don't think this is even a very good example of what Tom Grummet does well. I what think, do you mean? I t- it's a weird looking book, and there's all manner of weird body poses. There's all manner of weird butt shots and stuff. And like, it, it just looks weird. The book looks it, weird. Knockout was sexy, man. <laughs> I do not like this. I'm giving you leave it. It just does not hold up, and I, <laughs> I don't mean, care so, about it.
1: There's also so much stuff that they don't explain. Like, yeah, like, it's Superboy 22. You know, we get it. People have probably been reading the book for a while. Right. But if you were to jump in this book uh, cold, like I'm sure you did, you might think, well, who the hell is this redheaded person? Uh, You might wonder, who is this sleazy looking guy with the mullet? Yeah, that's just it. It's like you're trying to house they live in. You're trying to make a sort of
0: care about the Killer Frost character because she's desperate and she's in a bad situation and stuff. But there's so much garbage going on. Around it that you can't care for anything you, you there's nothing to be invested in here other than adults want to fuck a child <laughs> which I could not stop thinking of it's like he's a boy he's super boy I get it
1: man I get it <laughs> it's not okay
0: it. that's all it's, I'm saying
1: it's weird it's weird. Uh, by the way, Knockout would later be revealed to be a uh, a renegade female fury from Apocalypse. Hey, there you go. Makes sense. FYI. Well, that's why
0: she's nine feet tall, I guess. Yeah. Also super duper strong and tough. My final review goes to Iceman and Angel. It's a one shot from Marvel 2011. This was written by Brian Clevenger with art by Juan Doe. Now, this is kind of a weird one because this is a young possibly updated first-class version of Iceman and Angel. They're in New York for spring break, but it's very modern day because Angel forgot to buy tickets to Mexico, of course. And Goom, a Golden Age giant monster from Marvel Silver Age, shows up and attacks the city. While Iceman and Angel may not be the best team to deal with a giant monster, they are smart enough to figure out that Goom is not necessarily attacking New York, But he's looking for something. Just so happens to be he's looking for his son. Gugam. Pardon me. I couldn't remember his name. Gugam, son of Goom. Who was sent to New York to conquer the Earth, but instead decided to go to college. One thing we didn't know about these aliens, they can shrink. They're not always giant. They're like, my ship isn't that big. I get little to go in my ship. It just makes sense. God, you Earthlings are idiots. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) Now, Googam hasn't checked in for a while. He normally has a weekly call with Dad. Dad is worried. Comes to New York looking for him. Iceman and Angel help Goom track down his son, who's on spring break in Cancun. That's what college kids do. And just so happens, Bobby and Warren get to spend spring break in Mexico after all. Hooray! Now, I had thought about revisiting the comic where Iceman revealed that adult Bobby was also gay. This was during the Bendis run when the young XPs were there, and young Iceman was definitely gay. But that was sort of part of like a longer story and not even that big of a thing that happened in the X-book that it happened in, quite honestly. I think people just made a way bigger deal out of it than it actually was. I, hear you, I, hear you. I found this book by accident and was just like, well, Hey, Brian Clevenger. I really like that guy. He writes atomic robo. I
1: want to read this. I have no memory of this, no memory at all. Now. Yeah. Uh, so um, X-Men first class first launched as a miniseries in uh, 2007. Uh, it was written by Jeff Parker and uh, there was a, a special. And then it came back for a second volume uh, later on and ongoing, but it was very, what um, if
0: right? Like an updated,
1: it was an updated. It was a. It was a. It was a more not. Um, not like present day, but like, you know, in the same way they're like Tony was in Afghanistan, right? You know, it's like slid forward in the timeline. It was massaged so the, forward. Okay. So the school uniforms look more modern. That makes um, sense. But but like, there's a scene where they reference the X-Men and the Fantastic Four, and it's like the Silver Age Avengers, right? Uh, not the X-Men. Yeah, the Avengers. and the. Yeah. It's the Silver Age versions, you know, in those costumes and those lineups. Well, and, um, and in true, like, Marvel fashion at the time,
0: X-Men First Class, the movie was just coming out. And they were like, yeah, we got to cash in on that, but do
1: something completely different. With yes. It. <laughs> uh, so the, the, second, uh, the second volume, the ongoing series, uh, came out in 2007-2008. Uh, then there was another mini. Um, but then around the time that the movie came out in 2011, there was a series of one shots, character centric. Right. Uh, so like at the back of this one, they say, check out the next issue, which is about Cyclops. Right. Um,
0: so yeah, that's what
1: these were. Which
0: leads me to believe that Sony was working on these like X Men First Class movies and not talking to Marvel about it at all. <laughs> and they were like, "Oh, cool, no, Marvel. Knew. Gonna, that's why they brought do it the original
1: back. class. Neat. <laughs> nah, because it, like it had, it had been three, almost four years when they." Decided to bring it back. So they definitely timed it with the movie. It just so happens that the movie was like. No, I'm not saying they, that they, timed they went it. way off script. Yeah, I'm not saying
0: that they didn't time it with the movie. They definitely timed it with the movie. I'm saying they didn't get a peek at the script at all or have any idea what was going to be in this new X Men so First Class movie. Marvel didn't know it was going to be like Havoc and the bug. Girl exactly. And Darwin. So Marvel went, well, we know it's called X Men First Class. That's got to be these guys, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm giving mean, this a buy it. It was fun. It was. Very. There was nothing to it. It was just a fun read. The art was fantastic. Wando is so good at what he does, and Brian Clemenger does a really nice job writing a lighthearted Bobby and Warren just broing around.
1: This there's was fun. There's a joke in the book. There's a joke in the book where uh, there's it's actually an ongoing joke where it's like all you can do is all you have are angel wings. What are you supposed to do against right. this giant monster? And Bobby says you should have wings that are made out of knives. <laughs> yeah. And, and Warren says, that's the
0: dumbest thing I have. Right. Heard. He's like, you would have had metal wings that like fired wing knives out of them. And he's like, that's, that's ridiculous. There's another great right. joke where they're like, why are we here? Where are the Avengers? Where are the fantastic four? And the next panel is like the Avengers and the scrolls have them like locked up. And, oh, like, it's Kang. It's yeah. Kang. Kang all in, like, like, the the fantastic four. And like, they're all like, like the negatives. Yeah, negative <laughs>
1: it's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm giving this a bite as well. Uh, I, I'm a fan of Brian Clevenger. I am fairly certain that Atomic Robo was already going at the time. Oh, it definitely was. Um, yeah. And uh, Juan Doe, I know primarily as a cover artist, and his cover art is much more graphical, like like representative, you know, with sh- like shapes and oh, like, okay. uh, you know, so to see him actually like draw something sequential was interesting. Um, he did a great job. Uh, I love, I love silver age Marvel monsters. Yeah. Especially from around this time oh, yeah. where like they were doing, they were like getting gearing up to do stuff like, um, fin fang four. And you know, like the, 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 the funnier versions where like the characters become human sized and team up. Uh, so yeah, this is a, this is a fun little weird one shot, uh, from a series that went away as soon as this was over. Yeah. As soon as the movie came out, it was done. It was just fun to see Brian Clevenger write the X-Men. I had a good time yeah, with it. And yeah, I really liked it. It's a buy.
2: My name is Leonard Snark. I know who you are. Always pleased to meet a fan.
1: Our final just... review of the week goes to Flash number 182 from DC Comics 2002. Yes, I did three DC books because they have way more cold characters. They do. They does. definitely do. Although, or at okay. least they have... They have way more cold characters that were popular enough to like right. have their own. Story.
0: Marvel has like four vision versions of the blizzard who, <laughs> who we never
1: right. like, saw. And he, like I can't, like I can't think of one blizzard story where it's like, right. It's the spotlight on the blizzard. And I'm
0: pretty sure. Oh yeah. Didn't he get killed when project Pegasus blew up four times?
1: <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> the focus here falls on flash rogue, captain cold in this issue. While we learn about his path toward becoming a super villain, as he seeks revenge for the murder of his sister. Writer Jeff Johns was the successor to Mark Wade's eight year stint on the flash, uh, enjoying a pretty long and successful run himself. His era tended to be a little harder edged. And this issue is no exception. As cold tells the tragic story of his upbringing. We learned the rare circumstances that will lead him to murder. And this revenge mission is the murdering kind. Johns does a fantastic job fleshing out the character of the unfortunately named Leonard Snart. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, never had a chance. Yeah. That dude's screwed. No, no. <laughs> yep. It's like a boy named Sue. Yeah. And Her- it's hard not to sympathize with his story. This issue ends the only way it could with Snart victorious, but unfulfilled Scott Collins, who was Johns frequent artistic partner on the series at the time illustrates cold's brutal path to vengeance with the help of dan panosian's slick inks and beautiful colors by james sinclair like he does this um very muted palette with the yeah. uh uh flashback scenes where like the there's like a spot blue panosian was one know? of those
0: guys that came out of like the image wild Storm jim lee school and just figured it out and went all right that flashy bombastic garbage isn't going to work anymore. We need to like tone things down a little bit and make yeah. it. And God damn, he is talented.
1: Yeah. Okay. Very, very so good. Very. Johns would go on to do several of these rogue spotlight issues. Some of them with Collins, some of them not. i I think there was a, there was one I'm remembering that was about heat wave. I think Howard Porter drew that one. Yeah. Uh, but flash one eighty two is the best of the bunch. Uh, it, it's what like really made me love captain cold. I'm giving it a huge buy. It
0: yeah, this this comes from arguably the best Flash run ever written, and I don't think there's any question there. I didn't even really like the Flash.
1: Well, Mark but Wade's Flash is the
0: look. I, I I went it. back and read Mark Wade's Flash after I read this, and I liked it, and it was good. Don't get me wrong. This was better. This was just better. And Jeff Johns took a group of bad guys that were the arguably some of the. Dumbest bad guys in DC. Like really you've stacked these guys up against Batman's villains and they look ridiculous. And John's turned them into fleshed out real villains that made so much sense to the story. And this book is wonderful. And it made me love this character so much. And Man, I can't say enough about how great this run is. I own this entire run. And after I read this, I immediately went to see if there were omnibuses on this I could buy. <laughs> Love it. I'm giving him a massive buyout. These were so great. And all the rogue issues that he did, I thought they were all fantastic. And they they They're mean, all pretty good. They fleshed out characters, some of the just dumbest bad guys in DC you know, like the top the top was so <laughs> the weather wizard the pied piper you know like, terrible characters and now i love them absolutely love them huge buy
1: mark mark wade he took a different approach with the rogues yeah you know he kind of softened them they became more um they became less like enemies and more like um you know like foils that he could kind of bounce off of. right not like it, it was a it was a whole it was a different approach um, yeah, John's kind of like cemented them as like yeah.
0: hardcore. Villains. Wade kind of tried to make them grow a little bit as characters to make them interesting, and John's like, no, they're bad guys. They're rogues. They're going back to what they do. And he nailed it.
2: all right, everyone, chill,
0: chill, chill. Joe Patrick, which book wins? What was your favorite comic? And I want to know who's your favorite cold character from this pile. For me, it's Flash
1: One Eighty Two. Uh, without a doubt. Um, and, you know, eh, I don't know. Like, I think uh, as represented by these selections, Captain Cold is my favorite. <laughs> okay. Um, but, you know, I don't know. Like, I think if I had to choose between Captain Cold and Iceman, I'd probably pick Iceman.
0: Yeah, I love Iceman. I love Bobby. I love the character. He's easily my favorite cold-wielding character. No question. But, yeah, Flash. Definitely Flash 182 is my favorite book from this pile. It's just excellent. It's just an ex from an excellent run. Can't say enough about it. Now it's time to head up the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to warm up a little bit in our new Nuclo-powered tanning bed. More on him later. And while we cook to a golden brown, we can discuss our must-read new comics for next week. Joe Patrick, put on your funny little tanning glasses, and let's tell these nerds about what you're
1: excited to read next week. Do not spend more than two minutes in the Nuclo tanning bed. (laughs) Ah, Don't be a weenie. Come on. My pick for next week is Infinite Frontier number zero (laughs) from DC Comics, written and drawn by, you guessed it, Various. It's 64 pages for $5.99. I thought it was 80, but apparently it's only 64. Here's your solicit. The next phase of the DC universe begins here. Dark Knight's death metal presented the darkest threats of the multiverse. DC future state revealed what may lie ahead. Now it's time to look into the infinite frontier of the current day DC Universe. In Gotham City, the Joker jolts citizens awake with an attack even the Dark Knight never expected. In Brazil, a young woman discovers her destiny and her connection to the Amazons. In Belle Reve, Amanda Waller plots an invasion of Arkham Asylum. In the far reaches of space, Mongol dreams of galactic domination while the Green Lantern Corps hosts a summit of its greatest enemies. At the Hall of Justice, The League joins forces with Black Adam. Beyond the mortal world, Wonder Woman settles into a new role in the God sphere. What? And somewhere in the DC universe, it's the return of Stargirl. Hey! In an an all new tale written by Jeff Johns. He's still alive. Hey, look at that. (laughs) This oversized all star issue kicks off the next great era of storytelling and excitement as top writers and artists reveal what's next for the world's greatest heroes. And opens the door to some of the greatest stories of 2021. We'll see. (laughs) We shall see. Okay. Now, I I read a, a long interview by Joshua Williamson, who wrote, like, the framing device for this one shot. And the way he laid it out, like, it does seem... Like it could potentially be very exciting. Well, I mean, anything Um, they
0: do could potentially be very exciting.
1: Sure. Sure. I get it. It, Like the proof is in the pudding and all that. Right. Um, that said this week, uh, spoilers, I guess DC revealed the existence of the linear verse, which if I'm understanding it correctly, I haven't read the issue yet. I've only read the articles. The linear verse is not the actual main DC universe, but it's what they cobbled together from what was going to be the generations uh, event. God. And so it's a universe where every version of the character golden age, silver age, eighties, nineties, they're all the same. They're the same
0: person. I am making this is not a video podcast, but I'm making my hardest wait what face.
1: <laughs> right the, now. Like, yeah, so every version of Batman <laughs> what? throughout history. Why? We don't need and, that. Why? Every version of the main continuity Batman, that is, is the same character. Oh. Who just come happened to stay on. young and vital because of reasons. What? I don't know what that means for the mainstream DCU. The infinity formula. They got their hands on the infinity formula. <laughs> I don't, I don't. I don't know. I need to read the comic and find out. Oh. because I was like super confused.
0: Batman's going to be the man on the wall. No time. Here we go. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, but what the article also said, Oh, this one was an interview with Dan Juergens who wrote those generations. One shots. Because nothing says confidence in the event that you scrapped. Like, like Dan, Jurgens. Dan Jurgens. <laughs>
0: Yeah. No offense to Dan Jurgens, who I love. Well, I mean, the kids love him, too. They can't stop yeah, talking right. about yes. it. Yes, modern audiences love <laughs> Dan Juergens.
1: Um, but he said, and this is not a direct quote, but it's a, a, a direct paraphrase. Um, supporting characters may or may not have enjoyed the same treatment. Oh, boy. Which means that while Batman stayed young and vital for 80 plus years, Commissioner Gordon, for example, did not.
0: This makes no sense. What? Okay, I want to talk about this on cover to cover. So yes, you make we sure have to. you make this a news thing, because I need to talk yes. about this on cover to cover. I, 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 I it, this... We need to drill down into this, okay?
1: I can't wrap my brain around it. I've been reading DC Comics for 40 years. Good Lord. Okay,
0: save this. We're talking about it. My pick for next week is Brzerkr, which is B-R-Z-R-K-R, because apparently Uh kids these days, they don't like vowels. But the good news is, in the uh, parentheses, they write, oh, it's pronounced berserker (laughs) for old guys like me. Number one, this comes from Boom Studios. It's written by Matt Kent and Keanu Reeves. With art by Ron Garney, here's your solicit. Discover the next blockbuster action franchise from the iconic Keanu Reeves in his must-read comic book writing debut alongside New York Times best-selling co-writer. Uh-huh, I'm sure Matt Kent is the co-writer. Matt Kent! And acclaimed artist Alessandro Viti, whose name is not Ron Garney. Why is that there? Huh? In a brutally say Ron Garney, it says Alessandro Viti. Yeah, but it's up, up at the top, from directly from directly from Diamond, it says artist Ron Garney, cover artist Raphael Grandpa. Oh, uh, mm. that's what I'm talking about. That's weird, right? Yeah, kinda. Regardless. In a brutally violent new series about one immortal warrior's fight through the ages, the man, known only as Berserker, is a half-mortal and half-god, cursed and compelled to violence even at the sacrifice of his sanity. But After wandering the world for centuries, Berserker must have finally found a refuge, working for the U.S. government to fight the battles too violent and too dangerous for anyone else. In exchange, Berserker will be granted the one thing he desires, the truth about his endless blood-soaked existence and how to end it. You can bet your ass I'm gonna go find a remix of The Clerks' Berserker song
1: <laughs> My love for you Is like My truck bell Yeah <laughs> Oh, uh, look, uh, the art know, looks am, great. I'm trying to look this up and it must have been a typo because everything I see says Ron Garney. Yeah, I don't know. It, they, it must have just been an error when they typed up this.
0: Like VD was working on it and like he didn't get along with Reeves. No,
1: no, I bet they just like cut and pasted from an old solicitor. I'll bet and him and Reeves
0: didn't get along and Reeves like, get that asshole out of here. Yeah, I don't let's want him on do that. Broadcast. Let's
1: just do what Matt does. Yes. <laughs> no,
0: this looks great. Matt Kent is writing it. I just love Keanu Reeves. He wanted to put himself in a comic too. book. Great. I'll take it. We're not getting him as Moon yeah, Knight, man. so I'll take him as Berserker. <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah. Uh, so apparently, Berserker, number one, has sold over 600,000 copies. How is that possible? How do people even know about this? <laughs> the, Ke- the Keanu factor, baby. Good Lord. That's awesome. I mean, great. Yeah, I I don't know. Uh it's, but yeah, it's, uh, so far a smash hit and it hasn't even come out yet. Unless it's the kind um, of thing
0: where it's like, there's movie money behind it ooh, and they're building something okay. and they're putting it like in weird places that normally wouldn't have comics and shit, you know? You know
1: what, Matt? I owe you an apology. I stand corrected. Uh, in July, 2020, when the book was announced, Alessandro Vitti was the artist and there- he was replaced a month later by Ron Garney. Reeves wouldn't put up
0: with his shit. Kicked him off the book. Said, I'm not, I'm not dealing with that guy.
1: <laughs> there you go. Uh, Alessandro Viti had some uh, unforeseen personal issues, so he had to drop out of the project. There you go. I'm, I'm 100% right. <laughs> the issue is that Keanu Reeves hated his kids. <laughs>
0: I, I, no, I hope everything is okay with Alessandro I'm sure, I'm sure. He probably just had something else going on. He probably, uh, but yeah. You he know, didn't like, want to get in on a book pick, that was going to sell six hundred thousand copies.
1: I'm sure. And you can't if you can't commit to it, you can't commit to it. I love Ron Garney. I love Matt Kent. Yeah, I love Keanu Reeves. Absolutely. I was going to pick this, but I was like, if I don't pick it, Matt will. So I'm, I am having my cake and eating it too. Fair enough. The THN trade of the week goes to Department of Truth Volume One trade paperback from Image Comics. It's 152 pages for the special low introductory price of 9.99. Here's just solicit. Cole Turner has studied conspiracy theories all his life, but he isn't prepared for what happens when he discovers that all of them are true. From the JFK assassination to flat earth theory and reptilian shapeshifters. One organization has been covering them up for generations. What is the deep, dark secret behind the Department of Truth? Uh, This collects the first five issues, the first story arc of uh, one of our favorite new books. Oh, you guys, Department of Truth is
0: so good. It's so friggin' good. Oh my God. I am up to date on it. It's one of the first things I read every week when it comes out. It's so good. I love it. Yeah. And so, like, if you haven't read it yet, you would be a fool not to check it out for 10 bucks. Absolutely. And the art, God, the art is good. You can find our complete review list every Wednesday on our Twitters and our Facebook. If you want to read along with us, hit up your local comic book shop and pre-order all these comics because we want you guys to play along. And we want you to call us, cover to cover, and talk to us about them. We want to hear about the comics you're reading and the comics we read. So let's let's do it. Every week. Every
1: Saturday. You may have noticed our Take a Look, It's in a Book segment has gently morphed into the Take a Look, It's in a Book Club where we invite you to read and discuss a trade paperback or graphic novel with us.
0: Get a wicked tattoo as well. It's pretty cool.
1: This month, we read the latest reprint of Marvel's Vision and Scarlet Witch trade paperback, The Saga of Wanda and Vision, which reprints the story of what happened when Wanda and the Vision quit the Avengers, moved to a quiet little town in New Jersey, and had themselves a couple of babbies. Yeah, magic babbies. Now, keep in mind, this is just a 10-minute
0: preview of a more than one-hour discussion where we lost our minds over this wacky book. So, enjoy, and if you want to hear more, any donation to Patreon, you can hear the whole thing. So, let's get straight into it here. Now, the reprint started with Giant Size Avengers number 6? Was it? Three, Giant Size Avengers number 3, which... Oh, man. Oh, man.
1: If that had anything that, to
0: do with the story of the Scarlet Witch and the Vision, I don't know what it is. We went to. I mean, straight, it had their wedding. I guess it had their wedding, but then it leaps straight back into the Celestial Madonna crap and the Kotati and like. Woo! It is.
2: It is. Just mind boggling. That comic where I. I'm reading it and I'm like, I don't know who, and because they don't do that like 80s caption thing where they, you know, say who everyone's names are. Right. Like, well, I'm, I'm just yeah. I'm like, I'm like, is this Moondragon who I only know from like Marvel Universe volume, you know, series three cards. You know, like that's how I know my, uh, my Avengers characters. Yeah. And um, you know what? It wasn't, it wasn't Moondragon. She was there, but yeah. that wasn't the one I was Yeah, reading, but that, so. no, I
0: know exactly what you're talking about. That was not Moondragon. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and right. even I was like, hey, he, hold on here. Having, <laughs> uh, it, it was, it was quite, I was like, ooh, this is going to be a bumpy ride. The like, only, how, the uh, only
0: reason I had any clue what was going on in that comic book was because of the summer crossover that we just had. That like dealt with the ramifications of that years and years and years later. Oh,
1: um, Empire, Empire, Empire-y.
0: yes, Empire, where the the yeah. scrolls Empire-y. and the Kotati came back, and all. It's that. like, I
1: the, uh, yes, I now I, lo- I like I just like was st- now I am a I am a continuity nerd. I am a Marvel fan. I am a uh, I am a a student of the Marvel Handbook. So even though I hadn't read these stories necessarily. Like I knew all I knew the deal with Mantis and uh, the ghost of the swordsman <laughs> which was never explained was it, it was it his ghost all. or was it a plant thing and wh- it was it was and I it for- was a, it was the spirit of a Kotati <laughs> whatever yeah i don't want to get the, too deep into this Manifestation yeah, in of, the,
2: inside of a manifestation the of the swordsman yeah who who had died years previous man okay so i i vaguely knew about that only because you guys had covered empire pretty thoroughly um because i read bits and pieces but I, again like it it means nothing to me because it's not my History, So I, I, yeah, I yeah. didn't read that, but so I'm reading that I'm like, oh, that's the swordsman. And I knew he was blue because of like the right the, the empire right. thing, but he had a very like uh, blue late Alan Moore swamp thing loop plant guy from, yes. like, you know, when he went to space and, and yes. all that stuff. Like, <laughs> I was like, I don't know what this means, but I know that Swordsman, and then I know, like, I, I'm picking around, like, I'm just, I I'm want, where our vision is Scarlet Witch, I don't know, right We're in this comic somewhere, but... So, um, I'm saying, let's then, just
0: put that on the shelf. Let's just say, <laughs> okay... Or,
1: like, I totally forgot that the Ghost of Swordsman showed up in Empire, like, what a deep cut for them to bring. Back. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I'm saying, I'm not sure why Marvel put that in
0: this collection, other than... Hey. We They want to show us the wedding wedding. So I'm saying Let's move Uh, straight to the 1982 series Real
1: real quick I want to talk about I want to talk about Don Heck Jason
2: Do you really want to talk about Don Heck?
1: I I just want (laughs) to briefly address um, The the, the reception uh, To Don Heck's work In the Silver Age Because I read this comic knowing the name Don Heck as a like as a as a known Silver Age artist, uh, didn't he like take over the X Men after the first few issues? Or he drew uh, Iron Man, something like that. He did Iron Man. Yeah, um, this comic looked terrible. Yeah, it was. It was.
0: <laughs> this was not a good comic book. Right after I read it, I, I it is terrible. I texted you know, Joe and terrible. I was like, "Why is so- this here?" <laughs> This is bad. <laughs> well, think about, think about, and, and during this time, like they were rotating artists every issue on Avengers mm-hmm. too. There was an issue by Sabi B. Simon, there was an issue by Bob Brown. There was an issue by John B. Sam. There was no rhyme or reason to it. Uh, Dave Cockrum
2: appears and there all of a sudden, there's, there's no reason why they, they rotate. It's just because Marvel was just a complete place of chaos. Right. Well, above and beyond that, Len we decided marvel should do giant size issues four times a year so they're doing 12 issues a year where they can't even keep artists on it and then they have four other issues on top of that where they have to have artists on them it's it's just insanity this explains so a lot was famous for doing real fast work and not really caring that much but he would produce right it's like the vince coletta thing where like coletta would just he was the guy they could call up and say hey vince we need 12 yeah, pages yeah. by tomorrow and right. he'd
1: say, All right, i'll draw one one page with my hand and one page with my left foot. I Man, mean. yeah, what a mess! Uh, <laughs> what a mess that 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 intro was. That that yeah. lead-in issue was just so.
0: Don Heck's not hitting home runs, but he's good for a single. He's good for a single yeah. every time he gets up. You know, like don't worry about. It, well, you'll get on base.
2: <laughs> you know, don't he worry drew sixty-four right. pages. So
1: mean, yeah, comic and right. And, yeah, yep. so, yeah. I mean, hey, like I couldn't do it. I couldn't turn it around that fast. So let's skip right past
0: this and let's go to the nineteen eighty-two Scarlet. Witch and Vision and the Scarlet Witch miniseries by Rick Leonardi and Bill Mantlo. Now, I have to say, Rick Leonardi drew the hell out of this. This book's beautiful. This,
1: this series is gorgeous. Absolutely yeah, I gorgeous. Thought was, I thought it looked really good. I, I love Rick Leonardi.
2: I, I, am a, I, I think I'm a fan of his. <laughs> you know, big kind of based on what the project is, like, sometimes it looks like... Um, He's did, he did that Vigilante series that um yeah. was with like Marv Wolfman that looked yeah. really good. Um, I thought this must be really and I mean it's 1982, it must be really young Rick Leonardi. Right. I think um, the
1: Inker probably had something to do with it. Richard Howell, I think was the Inker. No, Richard Howell drew the main the the longer series. We're gonna talk um,
2: about Richard Howell next. But <laughs> right now I want to um, talk about Rick Leonardi. <laughs> but I, I thought it, it kind of had like that spooky like almost Sam Keith. Yes. Because it opens with a Halloween story. Right. Know, with like the possessed kids. And it looked kind of, it looked like, it looked, felt very haunted in that, that um, yeah, yeah. odd. I, th- I thought it, it worked pretty well. And I thought is, all those issues worked pretty well. This is definitely very
0: early Rick Leonardi. Like I think this is, this is I don't know for certain, Jason, you may know, I mean, but I think this is. It's 40 years ago.
2: It's gotta be. This, this is some of his earliest know. stuff. <laughs> it's got I be. don't know how old he is, but. This
0: has gotta it's be is some of his earliest stuff. Uh, Wikipedia is telling me his
2: first work was in Thor in 1981. This is 82 a year and a half later. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. This looks I okay, I was shocked and I'm just going to admit I started reading the 12-issue miniseries first, because that's the, what I found first, and like, just started reading it. And it looked so old to me. I was like, oh, man, this is so old-timey and crazy. And like, wow, well, that's why this book's wacky. And then I went, oh, shit, I'm reading it out of order. I need to read the 1982 series first. And I looked at the 1982 series, and I was like, this almost looks modern. Like, this is, yeah, this is a really good-looking book. Now, if you want to get into the quality of what's happening here... That might be a slightly different story. And perhaps what you were saying, Jason, about how the Avengers were cranking out so many books at the time. They they were putting out, you know, 12 issues a year, plus four giant size, plus miniseries and whatnot. This book drops you directly into a story without any setup whatsoever. I Like, just... We bought a house. We're in New Jersey. This is what we're doing now. Oh, by the way, we're not Avengers anymore, but the Avengers are all over the place. Go.
1: <laughs> and it was just crazy. I mean, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, the, giants, the giant size suffered from this same problem. Like, it it, 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 follows, it follows through with the characters as uh, assuming that you had already been reading them right. in the book that they came yeah. from. Um,
0: the thing that blows my mind is there's no setup for anything that's really happened before this other than to say, we're not Avengers anymore, but every issue of this four issue limited series reminds you with a, at least a two page setup of everything that happened in the previous issue.
2: <laughs> it's nuts. Yeah. These, so I, I think it's interesting that you read the, the second maxi series before, because I don't think it would have mattered.
0: No, it didn't in matter at all. No, you know I mean? no, like, uh, it, it, it didn't really matter at like, all.
2: And, and I, I, as I'm reading this, it's, I know a lot of the, and I think it's the, you know, the short memory thing of, of comics and maybe people don't know the stories, but all of this WandaVision stuff is like, oh, this is just like Tom King's, um, vision series. And it's like, well, actually it's almost just like these stories. Totally. Like it's really, it's like, they are, it's like, oh, it's not vision lives in a house with this, this weird, um, uh, I'm Android family I'm not going to say that actual term because I the Synthoid I think it's Synthozoid ridiculous. or whatever I, yeah. I can't even Synthozoid. handle how yeah. when he loses his arm and then they're like and the doctor's like I don't know he seems to be in a coma and Iron Man's like yeah I guess and it's
1: like wait <laughs> what, what Thank you, thank you, thank you to Jason and Brian for helping us out. And we will be featuring our friends of the show every month. So let us know if you want in. Just, you know, a note. This was a definite product of its time. Yeah. We had lots of feelings about this one. And uh we had an epic recording session. And we definitely felt some catharsis when it was all. No, definitely.
0: And towards the end, like nobody could give it or leave it. We all like looked at each other and were like, is and I kept asking, is this important? <laughs> and we kept going,
1: I don't know. No, I can't. I think we kept I th- we kept going, I think so. <laughs> Man. Excelsior! Oh
0: that's it for teaching 611. And next week, we are back to reviewing new comics and Nerd TV Returns. We discuss the first two episodes of Superman and Lois. Where's that even airing? I don't even know. Is it CW? CW, baby. Okay.
1: Until then, Joe Patrick, set these nerds up with the question of the week. This week's question was submitted by John Literal via Twitter. What hobby has always intrigued you, but you haven't taken the plunge into it? So, a hobby other than comics or video games or whatever that you always thought was interesting, but just never had the guts to go for it. Hey, look, guys, we need constant question of the week submissions. It's so true. So please con- continue to send them to us via email, Facebook, Twitter, the forums whatever you know how to reach us, and they don't need to be crazy heady just something we can discuss yeah it could just be like what's your favorite this get into it yeah if you want to wrap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerd news we're following hit us up on our live call-in show thn cover to cover every saturday at 11 central time hosted on our facebook page you can call us at 402-819-4894 or join the zoom live by clicking on the link that we post in the facebook live video chat if you can't be there live or want to submit anything for a show segment, shoot us an mp3 to 2 nerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the hotline and you could be internet famous. Please remember, when you do that, keep it to two minutes or less and share the air, nerds.
0: If you're new to the show and you would rather someone injects you with horse DNA than listen to another moment, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is, you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive over at TwoHeadedNerd.com, and I happen to know you will become an Earth Angel if you listen to every episode. So that? But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap! So, we want to thank donors, like our man, Bo Conroy! Sounds like you're riding and roping, son of a bitch, that Bo Conroy. I think he's a member of US-1. Never met met a Mustang he couldn't tame, Bo Conroy.
1: (laughs) Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Jason Sachs, the official THN historian, author of multiple volumes of the American Comic Book Chronicles and host of the Classic Comics Cavalcade podcast. We are just, we just so happen to be recording on Wednesday. February 24th, and today is Jason's birthday. You say February like a madman. I said February. (laughs) (laughs) You
0: sound crazy. Happy birthday, Jason, huh? 26 years old. It's a special age, Jason. Happy birthday, brother. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer. Mike, just tell those women how young you actually are. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.
1: Yikes. Superboy style.